You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. You know, our, our whole life is filled with memories. Memories growing up, memories of times with friends, and uh, memories of friends that we've lost in sad ways, but also memories of friendships uh, that have been broken and, and burned and, and people we used to be friends with but are now no longer friends with. We've been in this series called Instimacy, and it's all about how to have real friendships in an Instagram world. You know, we live in a society where we are more connected now than ever before, and yet we're also more isolated than ever before. See, what you and I need in life is not somebody to like a picture. What we need in life is not somebody to double tap our picture or for somebody to send us praying hands when we're going through something difficult. What we need is for someone to be there, to call us, to hang out with us, to hear us, and to cry with us when we go through difficult times. And so throughout this series, we've been figuring out how do we develop these kind of friendships where we know people, not just know about people, because we know about some people, but how do we develop friendships where we know some people and we're known by people? Over the past two weeks, we've, we've talked through um, having a cellular exodus. We, we talked about the relationship that we have with the thing in our pocket, the relationship that we have with the thing in our purse. And we said it's time to make a cellular exodus to put the phone down and look at people in front of us and talk to people in front of us and be there with people if we're going to have real friendships. And then last week, we, we said we don't want fans, we don't want friends on Facebook, we don't want followers, but we want friends for real, for real. And we talked through how to, how to make that happen and how to have that happen. But, but today, uh, I'm excited because we're going to talk through this topic of unfriending. Be because there's some friends that we have in our life that we need to unfriend. There's some friends who hold us back. There's some friends who are not helping us get where we long to go. And we have to navigate through how do we unfriend some people. And then next week, uh, I'm going to preach to you about uh, building your crew, finding your circle of people that you can rely on, depend on, finding people who stick closer than a brother or sister. But like I said, today we're going to navigate through unfriending. And how do we do this? this? This whole series we've been in called Instimacy was actually an idea that was sparked by my coach, uh, a mentor and friend of mine, uh, Pastor Carl Cool at Mosaic Christian Church. Uh, Mosaic is in Elk Ridge, Maryland. And um, I listened to the series that they did, and uh, they talked about this, this topic of unfriending. And I thought, you know, I could just steal it and preach it to my people, but they do it so well. I said, I just need to show you what they shared. And Mosaic Christian Church is, is a church that cares about the rising. Uh, Pastor Carl knows who you are. He knows what's going on here. Like I said, he's my mentor and coach. We talk on a regular basis. And I told him, hey, we stole your series. We're doing it. And I want to show the people of our church this message that you and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan is uh, a guy on staff at their church, that you guys talk through because I think you did it so well that I want my people to hear it straight from you guys. And so... 
what, what we're going to do uh, during the sermon time, usually uh, I'll preach live, but what we're going to do today is we're going to hear a message from Pastor Carl Cole through the power of technology via video. And um, I want to encourage you in this time to not just hear the word that's preached, but figure out what are you going to do about it. Because we're not changed by the word that we hear, we're changed by the word that we do. So, we're going to hear from Pastor Carl Cole and Jonathan Moynihan today for about 35 minutes during this sermon. And here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to lean forward, take out your notes, get ready to take some notes, and then make some noise. Let's raise our level of expectation. Will you put your hands together as we welcome Pastor Carl Cole and Jonathan Moynihan to the screen. All right. Hey. I am excited for today. We're doing something we've never done before. John and I are going to be co-teaching uh, this sermon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Even in my growth group this past week, uh, everyone was talking about how timely this series has been for them, and I'm just really excited to kind of get into the conversation with you today. So we're, we're continuing the series, Intimacy, and today is titled Unfriending. Unfriending. And my favorite feature on Facebook is not unfriending, because that's just mean. It's the unfollow. <laughs> Y'all use the unfollow? You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, you need to use this thing, because you can unfollow someone completely you can still stalk them as much as you want to. You don't have yeah. the relational baggage of them knowing you unfriended them. So it's kind of a passive-aggressive way to manage your online relationships. So I have some things that will get you unfollowed uh, from my Facebook feed. Um, one is if you post like three things in a row, unfollow. I don't have time for that. One is if you post a quiz, like those were cool maybe 12 years ago? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you post anything about politics, done. If you post anything about animals, I don't want to see your cat. I'm not even sorry. I was going to say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. It's so harsh, though. No, it's not. All right. So <laughs> do you have any unfollowing habits? Uh, I don't have unfollowing habits, but I was hanging out with some friends a while back where one of my buddies said, like in the group of friends, hey, did you guys see that cool photo I posted yesterday? And we're all like, oh, yeah, we saw it. But then one of my friends was like, oh, you know what? I didn't see it. And she had to realize mid-sentence, it's because she unfollowed him months ago <laughs> and never told anybody. So she had to admit that in front of this circle of people and then ask for this friend's help in undoing the unfollowing, <laughs> which was really, really awkward and hilarious to watch at the same time. I don't unfollow people, but one thing I do is if I've never spoken to you in my life, there's like a 99% chance I'm not going to accept your friend request. And it doesn't make me a bad person. I just think it's weird to get like rando friend requests from people I don't know. So, all right, apparently I'm a bad person based on your looks. <laughs> but that's just, I just no, don't. I think, I think that's fair. Because when I think if somebody you don't know, like you have no mutual friends is just trying to friend you. It's yes. like, I assume you either want my money or want to sell me porn. It's one of those two things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is the earliest you've ever said the word porn in a sermon now. It's a new record. That's pretty quick. Challenge accepted. <laughs> so in this series, uh, we've been talking about the power of friendships. And a couple weeks ago, we hit on this idea that Jesus loved everyone, but that doesn't mean he had time to spend one-on-one -on -one with everyone. And our big theme for that week, a couple weeks ago, was show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. So show me your friends. I'll show you your future. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about how choosing the right friends 
The right circles of friends is so important because it has a healthy influence on our lives. But it's also important, and what we want to look at today, last week was kind of from a positive thing, choose good friends. Today we want to look at it from the other side and say, are there in a, friends who are impacting us in a negative way that we, we may need to unfriend? Because if they are a close friend, that means we've given them access to our heart. We've given them access to influence us and shape us. And sometimes the result is we're being shaped in ways we don't want to be. So the title today is Unfriending. And listen, for the legalist out here, I get like we're going with the Instagram theme and unfriending is the thing you do on Facebook. And we're talking about Instagram and those two things don't miss because Facebook is not cool whatsoever. I got it. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Today's about unfriending because sometimes we don't need to just unfollow someone. We need to unfriend them. Yeah, and that language, I know some of you are thinking, like, that sounds really harsh, guys. Like, Jesus loves everybody. He's not going to unfriend anybody. But if you go back and listen to what Carl talked about two weeks ago, and if you missed it, I want to encourage you to go to Mosaic Podcast on iTunes and listen to it. But as we learned, Jesus does love everybody the same, but he doesn't treat everybody the same. And that's a tension that we've got to navigate through. So today, we want to be clear we're not talking about being mean to people. We're not talking about casting people aside. And we're not talking about not giving people inherent worth because they're creations of God. We're not saying that. Jesus didn't say that, so we're not going to say that. But we do need to make wise decisions about the friendships we allow in the most significant parts of our lives and choose to navigate that tension so that we can go make disciples and be a light into the world, but also make good decisions about the friends that we're gonna allow to be in those close places of our lives. Because scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And Proverbs 22 says this, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. So we're told to be light of the world, but don't associate with angry people. We're called to live and walk righteously, yet at the same time, don't uh, let these people who are maybe walking in darkness, or dra let, don't let people drag you down into unrighteousness who aren't walking the way that God's called us to. And for some of us, this is really difficult because this isn't a black and white issue, and we like things to be really black and white. And this isn't a problem to solve in your life as much as it is a tension to manage. And it's a tension that we're all called to step into today if we want to have uh, the best relationships possible. So here's the basis for this sermon. This is where we want you to start taking notes. Either write it down, take picture, whichever one you do. It, here's the basis. It is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. It is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. Um, I mean, the, the scripture we just read, we don't even need it in the Bible to know that's true. If you hang out with angry people, you're going to be an angry person. It's impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. So a question I've gotten a lot during the series is, do all my friends have to be Christians? And so I want to address this. And I would say your inner circle does. Because your inner circle are the people you lean on when either you mess up or life just falls apart. And when that happens in my life, I need people who get grace. I need people who know eternal hope comes through Jesus so that if things are falling apart, they can give me that perspective. Or if I mess up, they can talk to me about grace because if they don't have those two things, they're going to be speaking empty platitudes in my life that aren't really going to help me in the long term. So my inner circle has to be Christians to keep me going. But in my friendships at large, I limit my friends to those who strengthen my walk with Christ. 
Now, please hear me because I'm choosing my words carefully. I limit my friends to those who strengthen my walk with Christ. There are Christians, of course, who strengthen my walk with Christ. There are some Christians who do not strengthen my walk with Christ. Mm. And maybe they spew spiritual cliches that I hope mean something to them, but I don't get. Maybe they grow in ways that are different than I do. Maybe uh, they have convictions that are different than mine. But the reality is, for whatever reason, I've met lots of Christians who love and believe in and follow Jesus but who do not challenge me to love and believe in and follow Jesus more. Mm. Now, I need to have the humility to learn from anybody, but not everybody is going to be someone who really spurs me on. Now, let's talk about non-believers. Some non-Christians drag me down into what they do. And if I'm with them, I'll start saying things I don't want or thinking things I don't want or doing things I don't want. And so I just know I can't hang out with you if I want to follow Jesus. Like, it's incompatible. However, some non-believers make me pursue Christ more. Maybe they ask a question that makes me get in Scripture more. Maybe my heart goes out to them, so I pray more. Maybe I want them to know the love of Jesus, so being friends with them results in me serving them more. Give me an example. Uh, I don't know, six weeks ago, I was in Virginia Beach with my family, and we used to live there, so we're catching up with a couple old friends. There's a specific friend of mine. It's one of those friendships that you may not even talk for two or three years, but if you sit down, you just pick up right where you left off, and it's like you just hung out yesterday. And so we got together for breakfast, and it lasted at least a couple hours, if not longer. We're catching up on family and work and, you know, this church and all this kind of stuff. He's not a believer whatsoever. He doesn't want to be a believer, doesn't want to go to church. But I did bring up in the conversation, I said, Kevin, do you ever think about faith anymore? And he kind of had this nervous laugh, and he's like, nah, man, and he changed the subject real quick. But when I left, I thought, you know what, I may be his best chance at eternity, because I think I'm his best connection to Jesus. Hmm. And I was talking about that with somebody when I got back to Maryland, and they said, oh, you know, I know you said he's an intellectual. A book he may want to read is by Tim Keller called Making Sense of God. And it wasn't a book I've read. I've read other books by him that are great. But I ordered that on Amazon to read, to preview, and make sure it's the right book for him. But if it is, I'm going to either send him that one or buy him his own copy. But my point is, being friends with that non-believer is strengthening my faith because I'm praying for him, because I'm thinking, what scriptures could I send to him? What book is there that could speak to his situation? And I maintain that relationship because it helps me grow in Christ. So do all my friends have to be Christians? No. But I do believe every relationship should push you to Christ one way or another. Yeah, and with this big principle we want you to walk away with, it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends, we know that this is a a big theme that we want you guys to live out, but there are three lessons that are sort of handles for us that will enable us to live this out better that we've actually learned from a really wise pastor named Craig Rochelle. So um, there are going to be three lessons today that are going to enable you to live out this principle. And the first one today, we want you to write this down or, or take a picture of the screen is I will never let a friend distract me from God's plan. I will never let a friend distract me from God's plan. And Jesus models this for us really well in Matthew 16. The book of Matthew is an account of Jesus' life. And in Matthew 16, he's looking at his disciples and he's telling them what's about to happen to him. He's saying he's going to die a brutal death. And he says, I'm going to be dead for three days and then I'm going to come back to life. And this is where we put our hope in Christ, and this is why we put our hope in Christ, because he's the only religious figure in human history to claim to be the way to God, and then back it up by calling a shot and proving it by coming back to life. He overcame the most restrictive thing in our universe, death, 
And he made a way for you and I to have an eternal relationship with God because he beat death so you and I could experience life. And that's why we take him seriously, not just on faith, but on things like friendship. And in just a moment, we'll, not in just a moment, but later today, we'll pass a trade on your road to celebrate communion, to center ourselves on that reality that Jesus did what he said he was going to do. And we'll pass a trade on your row with a stack of cups. One has a cracker, the other has juice, and that represents Jesus' body and his blood. And we encourage you to eat and drink to center yourself on that he is your hope, that because he did what he said he was going to do, we can trust him, not just on friendships, but on your eternity. And in Matthew 16, he's telling his disciples, listen, this is about to happen to me. I'm calling my shot. Here's what's going to happen. And someone in his inner circle loves him, but says something interesting. Look at this, Matthew 16, 22. After Jesus tells them that he's going to die, it says that Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus turns to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. And this isn't some playful, like, oh, get behind me, Satan, you're wrong. No, this is like a legitimate rebuke. He is rebuking his friend in front of other people. And remember, Peter loved Jesus. He meant well. But Jesus doesn't allow him to say what he wanted to say because he knew Peter's words contradicted what God was calling Jesus to do. The message is another paraphrase of this verse, and the message version says this. It says, Jesus didn't swerve. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. And Jesus shows us how do we live out uh, this illustration, this principle today. Because Jesus shows us that you can't allow others to have influence in your life when their words contradict the word of God. You can't let people speak into your life when what they say goes against what God says. You guys ever watch like the Oscars or the Grammys and stuff like that? Like these people win awards and stuff like that? I watch the Oscars sometimes. And I think it's fascinating that, and Carl helped me realize this, these people have worked their entire life. They've sacrificed so much to win best actor, best director, all that stuff. And they get like 20 seconds to talk and then someone's like, wrap it up. And they start playing the music in the background. And it's like crushing. These people put their whole lives into this. And they get told, like, hey, you need to hurry it up. Like, get off stage here. And I, I, have, I have noticed it's, it's not like the best actor that gets cut off. It's like tech guy who did visual effects. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> He's like, um, I want to thank my mom and my dad. And you're like, wrap it up. <laughs> anyway, these people get, get told to wrap it up, even though they've accomplished something incredible. And I don't get why they do that after 20 seconds, and they didn't play the wrap it up music when Kanye West cut off Taylor Swift all those years ago. And he's like, I'm gonna let you finish, Taylor, but, and then he starts like going off Wait, about Beyonce. Is that your Kanye voice? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm gonna let you finish. But I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand why Taylor didn't just like cut him off. Like, if Taylor was like Jesus, she would have cut it off, right? So Taylor is Jesus and Kanye, I'm, just keep going. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, look, look at this. Peter, it says in the scripture that Peter began to reprimand Jesus. And if it's like, oh, I began to do something, but then something else happens, that means I got cut off. I didn't get to say what I wanted to say. And Peter began to reprimand Christ, but Christ cuts him off. He doesn't even let him get out what he wanted to say because Jesus chose he would never let a friend distract him from God's plan. 
And for you, when you have friends in your life who have influence in your life and their words start to contradict what God says, it's not being a jerk when you cut them off. It's just being like Jesus Hmm. because we want to make sure that we live the best life by having the right friends. So we need to make sure we never let a friend distract us from God's plan. So I think it's important to really think critically about your life and how friends do this, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. For example, uh, part of following Christ is being part of his church. And friends can unintentionally be distracting you from God's plan with that. You may have friends who say, hey, let's go out and just stay out so late that you wouldn't be able to attend church. Or let's go tailgate instead. Or let's go for a ride. Or let's go shopping. And ultimately, if you peel back the layers, they're trying to distract you from God's plan. You may have friends who are materialistic. They're constantly focusing on the best clothes or having best decorated house or whatever that is. And they're trying to distract you from God's plan because that's planting seeds in your life of what's right to pursue and what right is right to make most important. And for a lot of us, it's just people tempting us. When I was about 16 is when I started taking my faith in Jesus a lot more seriously. And I say about because it was a process. I didn't wake up one day and say, today's the day. I'm a full disciple of Jesus. Let's do this. It was a process. You get that. And so in high school, I was like every other non-Christian high school boy. I dated 100% based on looks. That's it. (laughs) So I was dating this girl. Uh, We'd gone out like just once or twice And we went to the same high school. Now, you have to understand, at lunch, I sat with three other guys, not believers. We weren't even that close of friends. It was just some guys to hang out with lunch. We had a good time. They were good old boys, and it made me laugh, and so it was all good. So the Monday after we had gone out, like on our second date or so, this girl walks over and sits down at our table. And on the, I can't say anything out loud, but on the inside, I'm thinking, woman? Who invited you over here? So she sits down with my boys. I'm the pastor, by the way. My name's Carl. Y'all are judge me, but you do the same thing. And we sit down, and this guy across the table, I know he's going to say something inappropriate. And he goes, okay, first question, welcome to the table. What do you think about premarital sex? And I was like, oh, my gosh, start with her favorite movie or something. (laughs) And she just looks back at him without missing a beat. She said, hey, I think it's a beautiful thing, perfectly fine, as long as you care about the other person. That's just a great thing. And in my 16-year-old brain, alarms are going (laughs) off because this girl has just told me in front of the whole lunch table, I will sleep with you this weekend if you say you care about me. And I know that is not God's plan for me. She's a cute girl. I do the math pretty quick. If I keep dating her, I know exactly what's going to happen. So I had a choice. And fortunately, I was far enough in my walk with Jesus to know I got to end this before I do something I'm just going to regret in a couple years. Now, let me just push on the dating thing for a second. We've all seen somebody dating where from the outside, we look at her and think, if you think he's not going to crush your heart, you're an idiot. Mm. Or we've looked at him and said, if you think she's not going to lead you somewhere you don't want to go, you're an idiot. And so we're watching them dating, and we're thinking, unfriend them. Run. Get out of there. And here's what I want to make the point of. Don't think God only cares about how you date. He wants all of your relationships to be life-giving. 
So just as from the outside you may see somebody dating and know God wants them to be wise and shrewd and intentional in dating, God is saying to you today, I want you to be wise and shrewd and intentional with all your relationships. Why? Because it is impossible to have the right life with the wrong friends. So make a decision. I will never let a friend distract me from God's plan. And that's the first lesson, but the second lesson kind of builds on that a little bit more and, and talks more about what do you do when you find yourself in an environment maybe that you need to make a decision on. So your second lesson is I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. I will not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. And listen, there's a guy in the Old Testament that, that shows this for us really, really well, and his name is Joseph. And Joseph, long story short, gets sold into slavery, and he's owned by a guy named Potiphar, and he's the head of the palace guard. So in our context, he's kind of like the head of the secret service. And Potiphar has a wife who gets a little handsy with Joseph. She likes what she sees. She's attracted to Joseph. She wants to sleep with Joseph. And Potiphar's wife doesn't have a name in scripture. So today, we're going to call her Hotifer. And Hotifer was thirsty. Hotifer was thirsty for some Joseph. She liked what she saw. She wanted to get with Joseph. And she starts to say, Joseph, come have sex with me. Come have sex with me. And remember, she's the wife of the head of the palace guard. She's not used to getting rejected very much. So when Joseph says no, it's a big deal. And in Genesis 39, it says she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. And Hotifer can't take a hint, so she keeps pursuing and pursuing, and eventually it says she grabs onto Joseph and says, come have sex with me. It says he tears himself away from her, and in that process, she takes his cloak, and he's standing there naked, so he runs away. So now we have the first streaker in the Bible running away from his problem, <laughs> and Hotifer's embarrassed, so she goes and tells her husband, hey, Joseph, I have his cloak. He put himself on me. He tried to rape me, and I got away, but you need to do something about this. And because he's a slave, Potiphar never even hears his side of the story. So Potiphar ends up going to jail. He's lucky he didn't get executed. But Joseph shows us something here that reflects how we choose friendships and how we continually uh, avoid being tempted to sin. Because Joseph did the right thing, but bad things still happened to him. And Joseph, I'm sure this was a tempting environment. I mean, he had a very powerful woman offering up herself to him on a consistent basis, but it says he chose to keep out of her way as much as possible. And when things came to a head in his life, Joseph did what we need to do, and that's run. Joseph did what a lot of us need to do, and that's run away from what we're facing. And in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says, run from sexual sin. And I think too often we find ourselves in a place of temptation, whether it's sexual sin or something else, and instead of fleeing from that environment, we try to fight the temptation in that environment. But scripture doesn't tell you to fight temptation, it tells you to flee. And we genuinely want to overcome the struggles that, that we face when it comes to sin, but a good question to ask yourself when it comes to your friends is, am I trying to fight a battle that God is telling me to flee from? Are you putting yourself in an environment where you're trying to resist something when you need to just run? Joseph's example doesn't show us that he inched closer and closer to Hadifer and he, he liked the attention he got from her, but he just fought it. No, Joseph knew he needs to get the heck out of there. And when it comes to being tempted to sin by our friends, there's a point where we have to make a decision to not resist temptation. We got to make a decision to just run from temptation. 
So we say, I'll not let my friends continually tempt me to sin. And this happens in such subtle ways, right? So this is your girlfriends who you like hanging out with them because you have a wine night and it's a lot of fun and you laugh a lot, but you realize that they spend a big, big portion of the night just bashing their husbands and, bat and laughing at that. And you think, that's not going to affect me. I'm not going to let that affect me. But the next day you find yourself thinking, you know, my husband does a lot of those things. They were complaining about their husbands. Plant a seed. It's the men you hang around who make a comment about every woman's body that walks by. And you've been down that road before, and you know you trip, you'll fall hard, so you can't even let that grow whatsoever. But you realize if I hang around them, it's going to plant a seed, and it's going to grow. So you can't do it. Craig Rochelle actually said something I think a lot of us can relate to. He said when, when he uh, gave his life to Jesus that he had to reevaluate every friend he had. Because when he thought about it, every friendship he had was based on sinning together. So he had his tennis buddies, but really they just played tennis so they could go sin together after they were done playing tennis. He had his fraternity brothers, but these were people he just paid dues to so he could sin with them. And every friendship he had was based on sin, so he had to start thinking, how do I unfriend some of these people who have access to my heart so I can instead become the person that God wants me to become? John, you had a good metaphor for this, I think. Yeah, I think when it comes to your friends, a question you have to ask yourself is, Am I a thermometer or am I a thermostat? And what I mean by that is, are you someone who simply reflects the temperature of the room socially, or are you someone who can change the temperature of the environment that you're in? When you hang out with your friends and you're honest with yourself, are you someone that can kind of change the temperature of that group to be more mature, more godly, more uplifting, more positive, more compassionate, or are you someone where you kind of know what the temperature of the room is, but you find yourself incapable of actually improving it to become more of what God wants it to be? I think it's a good question, and there's a good example of that in our church. We had a friend named Ravi who was attending school at UMBC, was really a social guy, very connected, knew a lot of people. So um, it was a surprise, but not a surprise that he was successful uh, that he paid for a lot of things at school by selling pot. And that's how he paid for stuff. And when he got invited to Mosaic, he started coming and he bumped into Jesus and he gave his life to Christ and he got baptized. And he was so excited about what God was doing at his life that he thought, I'm brilliant. I'm going to start selling weed but put Bible verses in the dime bags. <laughs> so that's what he did. And he did that for a while, and he wanted to meet up with us and tell us about this great new thing he was doing to spread the gospel. And he told me, he's like, bro, I'm putting Bible verses in the bags, and I think it's doing really well. And I'm like... I, I never did ask him if he tithed off of it. Ugh, <laughs> 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 uh, drug money in the church. <laughs> so we, uh, he tells me that, and I'm like, bro, stop. Like, that is, that's not what we want for you. That's not what God wants for you. Like, I love your tenacity, love your heart, but... Let's stop selling pot, and let's just run after Jesus for a while. And once I dug into it a little bit more, it became apparent that he was a thermometer, not a thermostat with those friends. And I told him, until you can hang out with them and not do a keg stand and not smoke a bowl, you need to take a step back from some of those relationships so that Christ can redeem those things in you and work on you in those areas so that you can once again later step back into that friendship so you can be a thermostat and not just thermometer and and that's what he did yeah there's a great story of paul in scripture that many of us are familiar with where paul's job was to kill christians but then jesus appears to him 
And then he ends up starting churches and writing much of the New Testament. But there's an often overlooked detail that after Jesus appears to him, he withdraws to obscurity for a couple years. Mm-hmm. And he lets Jesus work on his heart and revolutionize his personality and get his theology correct. Only then does he be the person who's out in every situation he can find in order to spread the gospel. And that's really what Robbie did. Robbie yeah. took uh, John's advice, took a step back for a while, and now he is someone who can be in any environment will not be tripped up in sin, but will be that thermostat. Absolutely. Uh, Last takeaway, and this one is important because if you don't get this from the whole sermon, um, we'll be off track. I will never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. I will never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. And let me be absolutely clear here. We never want your life to revolve around mosaic. We don't want Mosaic to dominate your life. And here's exactly what I mean by that. The pinnacle of being on mission at Mosaic is not giving. The pinnacle of being on mission at Mosaic is not serving. The pinnacle of being on mission at Mosaic is not being connected in a group. The pinnacle of being on mission here is inviting people to church. And here's why. Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. That's why. See, I'm a little nervous anytime I hear somebody say, yeah, I just joined my fourth growth group for just this semester because I think if you have that much time, use some of it to get around people outside the church. I mean, this is what Jesus lived out. The biggest accusation they lobbed at him was, you're a friend of sinners. Mm. And he said, dang right I am. Mm -hmm. He befriended Zacchaeus, a tax collector that just about everybody hated. One day there's a woman sitting by herself in the middle of the day at a well. He went up and befriended her. The reason that she was there, she was a sh- social outcast. She'd gone through five husbands already. He was now sleeping and living with a sixth man. And we must be the same as Jesus. Yeah. We must seek out those who do not know them. We must invite our neighbors, invite people at the gym, invite people from work, invite people from school so they can bump into Jesus and get what you got. And we're both really passionate about this, but there's a place that I've been in before on this topic that I think some of us are in now that really hinders our ability to live out this third lesson because some of us genuinely want to love people unconditionally so they can bump into Jesus. We want that. But the problem is for some of us, and I've been there before, you actually don't have any people in your life that you're close to who don't already walk with Jesus. You don't have any friends who are not connected to the church. You're only sort of in this insulated bubble of church people and you don't have friends who don't yet know Christ. And so when we talk about inviting friends or bringing friends, you get a pit in your stomach because you know if someone's going to ask you, who are you going to invite to Mosaic? You have to bring up some family member who lives three states away who you know isn't going to come, or you mention that friend that you used to be tight with, but now you're not close with them anymore, and if you invite them to church, it's going to feel more forced than anything else. And that's not what God wants for you. So I have two questions that if you're with me and you've been in that place before, or maybe you're there now, There are two questions I think that are really practical that could help you step out of that and live in a way that you could embrace this third lesson. The first question is, do you know the name of your neighbor? Do you know the name of the individuals who live on your right and on your left and across the street? Because if you don't know their name, how is God going to use you to help them know the power in the name of Jesus? And I think our whole church is healthier if every person here knows the name of their neighbor. And if you don't know that, there's something you can do this week to help grow in this area. Just get to know their name. 
He's not asking you to baptize them and share the gospel in that moment, first interaction, but just get to know their name. And that's one way we can do it. And the second big question, if you've been in this place like I have, is there someone that you've unfriended in the past that God is now calling you back to get in the ring with them socially and help love them unconditionally the way Jesus has called you to? Maybe at the time it was the right thing for you to do. But now you've grown and you've matured and there's some people uniquely in your life that you know you might be, like Carl's example with Kevin, he might be and you might be the only person that could be the connector between them and Jesus that maybe God's calling you to step back into who at one point you took a step back from. And I think if you have lost friends who you don't reach out to, like that's a bad thing. But I wonder if it's just as bad to not have any people to reach out to in the first place because we're called to live this out and show unconditional love to the people in our neighborhoods. Listen, let me sum up everything we've talked about. Everything we're talking about today makes perfect sense if you're an addict. You get what I'm saying? Because if you're an addict, you, you know everything we're talking about is true because you know that thing will destroy me or has destroyed me, and those people, when I'm around them, I end up doing that thing. So I can't hang out with those people because they go to that place and they do that thing. And you're not saying anything bad about those people. You're not even necessarily saying that that thing is inherently bad for everybody in the whole world. You're not saying there's anything, you know, you're the world's worst person. You're just saying, I can't hang out with you because when I hang out with you, I do that. And if you have someone in your life who is an addict that you love, you don't want them hanging out with those people because you don't want the person you love doing that thing. It's crystal clear. Here's what we're saying today. There is something more harmful than an addictive substance. And that thing is called sin. Sin is when we say, God, I know inherently what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do my own thing anyway. I don't care what you say is right. And that creates a chasm between us and God. It brings death in our soul, in our relationships, and ultimately in eternity. And so there are two things we have to do with sin. One is let Jesus wash it away. And yes, we run from it all we can, but we will still all inevitably fall somewhere. The only ultimate answer to what to do with your sin is to give it to Jesus. He died on the cross. He wants to wash you clean. See, Scripture says, while you are still sinning, Christ died for you. Here's what this means. While you're doing the worst thing you'd ever do, Christ looked at you and said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for that. Mm. And the deal on the table is you give him your sin, he gives you freedom and that's called grace. And once you've accepted grace, and once you live daily in grace, the second thing you do with your sin is you listen to the wisdom of Scripture. See, Joseph wasn't running for his purity. Joseph was running for his soul. And yes, God will give you grace. But how about we start putting ourselves in friend environments that will push us to be more like Jesus and experience what he describes as true life? So what we're challenging you today is to live out scripture. Let's be the light of the world. Let's pour into people to point them to Jesus. But let's refuse to get as close as we can to sin. Instead, let's embrace the life Jesus has for us and gather people around us, both Christians and non, who will spur us on to love Jesus and serve him more. Because it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. John's going to pray. Yeah, let's pray. God, I know that as we have this dialogue, uh, I can think of people in my own life who uh, 
you are calling me to step back into their life into their lives in ways that I need to because at one point I unfriended them and I need to step in so I could love them unconditionally. And I know that there are people here who are feeling that exact same thing. You're calling us towards uh, individuals that we know that we need to be a light to them. But God, there are also people in our lives that we can think of that we know you are calling us to take a step back from because it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. And uh, God, I pray this week you would give us the boldness and the clarity to take a step in the direction that you're leading us to today so that this isn't just some fun convo on a Sunday. It's something we live out throughout the week. God, we need your help to do that, and we pray that you would empower us to do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.